Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. Today, I am interviewing Ryan Habna. Uh, Ryan uh, appeared in the film Seven Pre-Trib Problems in the Pre-Wrath Rapture that uh, Alan and I just uh, got done putting out last month. Uh, Ryan is the pastor of preaching and teaching at Conquering King Fellowship in St. Paul, Minnesota. He is also the director of Signet Ring Ministries, a biblical resource and teaching ministry. Ryan holds two degrees in biblical and theological studies, a BA and an MA at Bethel University. He lives with his wife and three children just outside St. Paul, Minnesota, and he's the author of this book, The Parable of the Fig Tree, if it wasn't reversed, Discerning the Signs that Herald Christ's Return. Ryan, how you doing? Good. Sounds good. And say just a couple of updates there on the old, uh, good to see you again, by the way, Chris, it's a mm -hmm. blessing to be here with you to be able to discuss some of these important things. Uh, since the, um, since the publishing of that book, I ended up adding one more kid. So I got four kids just in oh, case yeah. okay. I was wondering what, <laughs> what, what happened to the fourth one. Okay. So, um, yeah, I got four right now. So we have a, a quiver full, but yes, it was, it's a blessing to be here with you, Chris. And, uh, you and I both connected, uh, back in February, an interesting time, kind of right before mm -hmm. things changed, and I, I came down to uh, to Atlanta uh, to uh, to do the filming for uh, the, the the film, and so it was a, it was a pleasure to partake in that, and it's a pleasure to see some of the inroads that are being made uh, with that film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, people should know uh, you basically, in a lot of ways, kind of saved that film because. Um, <laughs> before you were the last interview that I did and we had some other schedule, but of course, coronavirus basically made lock the lockdowns basically right after you left. Um, and it was only when I interviewed you that I knew for sure what the film was going to be about the whole concept of the seven preacher problem. So I had all this stuff that I needed you to sort of tie in and, and you just did it flawlessly first take the whole time. It was, it literally couldn't have been a better situation. It really uh, did. Well, that was, again, it was a pleasure. And that's, that's, uh, that's the grace of the Lord doing that. So Absolutely. yeah, I, um, and again, I getting to know you a little bit, I, we have a lot of uh, common interests. And so, uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to, uh, if he so wills partner, uh, and, and further stuff in the future as the Lord gives us breath and has, we have opportunities as we live in a very interesting uh, time. Uh, yeah. Again, we don't know where we are at the prophetic time clock, but uh, obviously his, his word is constant. And so uh, it's a pleasure to find like-minded people and be able to join arms and, uh, and produce things like, like the film uh, to, uh, to bring forth the word of the King in some uh, fresh new mediums. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that first. Um, obviously, we are in some interesting times. Some strange stuff is going on. Um, do you have anything in particular about, um, you know, what you're looking for or what you're seeing or any other things that the Lord has laid on your heart in the scriptures or any other thing uh, recently? Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I think uh, from a <clears throat> watching standpoint, there's obviously some interesting things that have kind of but developed and like i said we we really don't uh, we don't know the the, uh, the times or the seasons that the father has set by his own authority so we march forth in the the calling of the great commission right now and we will continue to do that till the end of the age as he is with us but <clears throat> i think that first off the last you know seven months or however it's been since uh the coronavirus uh dynamics have hit there's been a lot of character revealing you know, it's interesting to see how people responded to this. And actually, I had a, a conversation with Alan a few months ago where we were discussing some of these things. And uh, it's interesting. Alan and I uh, have a, 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 an interesting history. Um, Alan and I were born in the same hospital uh, a, a few, uh, just a few years apart. We were both born in Wilmer, Minnesota. Now, he, he's gone, and uh, I haven't gone too far away from Wilmer. I live in many, uh, Minneapolis area, but Alan's out in New Jersey. He's coming back. And Alan and I <clears throat> have kind of in, independently come to, you know, a very, very similar theology in almost all things. And so him, Alan and I's mind some think, think alike in, in a lot of things where we independently come to the same conclusions. And so uh, Alan had, had indicated that he, he's seeing like a lot of this, you know, is looks like a dry run, you know, a dry run for a lot of the dynamics that could, you know, ultimately transpire during the 70th week. And again, we don't know when this is, but my, I had kind of that same thinking that it's interesting to see how this, which is 
ultimately nothing compared to the deception, the, the onslaught of, of, of issues, whether it's in the political or religious or environmental realm. Um, you know, in the Olivet Discourse, we see these things rise forth and it's going to be uh, incredibly uh, deceptive and, and, and bringing about, once we hit that midpoint, this great tribulation. And so I, I really do think it's just always a call. We, we see the need to uh, engage in what Christ has commanded us to, the, the, the means of his grace, which is by grace through faith, looking to the word of God, uh, strengthening our hearts and minds by, by feeding upon the word of God, by thinking about the word of God, by in, uh, enduring in prayer, uh, continually lifting up prayer for strength for ourselves, our families, our church, and for our efforts in evangelism. And another big one here is fellowship. Uh, this has been this challenge in this time that uh, fellowship has been has really been attacked. And so the, the need for fellowship, uh, and that's going to be something that can, that, that uh, when we, when the 70th week hits, whenever that is, uh, that's going to be one of the main one of the main things that's going to be hit is fellowship. How do we gather together and uh, strengthen each other as we see that day drawing near? So that's one of the areas that I've kind of again, it's just kind of a lot of eye-opening things and looking for wisdom and how to navigate them in this present situation, but almost also preparing for what's coming. The other thing that's interesting, kind of on a, a totally different dynamic, Chris, is. Some of the things that are going on in the Middle East over the last several months, uh, we have very interesting, you know, developments in something called the Abraham Accords, and uh, that's something to keep our eye on. Obviously, when when Israel is uh, is entering into agreements and things are being consolidated, uh, that's some, something that I've really become very uh, <clears throat> interested in and. Uh, you know, over the last even 12 years, uh, I've uh, 12 years ago I went to Israel for the first time, and uh, really being in Israel and learning about Israel firsthand from the people that live there uh, is fascinating, and to see the the elements that are in the in the region, and so watching things develop, and we can maybe talk about that later on. I can talk to you a little bit about some of the things that I've learned and seen regarding, for instance, a temple. Uh, a temple in Jerusalem. And so uh, a lot of those things, again, keep, keeping our eyes on that. So again, kind of a, a short slash long answer. Those are some of the things that I've been pondering over these last several months. All right. Uh, yeah. And I definitely want to get into, uh, I know you, you often are going to Israel, taking tours uh, in Israel. We, you went to Israel after we uh, talked uh, back in February. Um, let's go back to the sort of discerning the signs aspect and you know you wrote the, this book about the fig tree parable and and you kind of used the the fig tree parable in the olive discourse as kind of a springboard to get into really a lot of things you know what what we as watchmen are to be doing uh and then of course kind of going into a lot of the pre-wrath stuff as well i mean this book was a springboard to get into a lot of that as well but it, right. it doesn't it doesn't seem like that it's actually uh it, it flows quite uh naturally uh, my question, I guess, is um, one of the points you made in the book was that really a lot of the majority of believers, whether they be like some form of preterists or pre-tribbers, you know, the great majority of the body of Christ, and I consider both of those, you know, very within the bounds of obviously uh, good doctrine or whatever you want right, to right. say, they're, they're people that look at the Olivet Discourse as completely irrelevant to the modern church. When in fact it is the centerpiece of everything that we're supposed to look at in terms of discerning the times, it is the it is the book for the watchman, and there really isn't another book for the watchman. Even Revelation is sort of springboarding, and in, in, in some right. senses, off of the Olivet Discourse. Even pre-tribbers who will, on one side of their mouth, say that the Olivet Discourse is not for the church really use the Olivet Discourse to kind of do their prophecy right. programs and talk about the birth pains or whatever. Right. No one knows the day, no one knows the day or hour. Uh, right. Which is yeah, a complete contradiction, right. you know, <laughs> for them. But the, uh, so, and just to follow that up, because pre-tribbers will say that that section isn't about the rapture, but yet they will say that I heard, anyway, that's the right. other thing. Yeah, no, um, yeah. Watch so, the movie. <laughs> so let's talk about that in terms of what, 
so it seems to me a good deal of the Olivet Discourse is pointing towards that midpoint, the the abomination of desolation. A good point is like this is the main thing to watch for when you see the sign that Daniel talked about, this guy sitting in a temple and all this stuff. And really before that, there's not that much. There's the birth pains and there's a few other things. So how do you reconcile what we're to be looking for in terms of the birth pains and what how does that inform your opinion on what to watch for? Yeah, well, kind of in regard to some of your, you know, your initial comments there about preterism and um, and pre-tribulationalism, that was <clears throat> kind of one of the unique angles <clears throat> this, you know, I was bringing into writing this book. And again, I wrote that book, <clears throat> excuse me, about uh, 12 years ago. It really wouldn't change anything <clears throat> 12 years later, and that was kind of one of the goals, was um, coming from that angle, the the Olivet Discourse is uh, is ultimately, yeah, it's it's removed as far as a, being a functional command from the Lord. And really, it's about the Lordship of Christ at the end of Matthew. You know, Jesus says, you know, the Great Commission is about evangelism, but it goes far beyond just evangelism. It's, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And as you read the narrative of Matthew, you see that Matthew was interspersed with these discourses, which are intended to be for the New Covenant community. So to, to say that there's this big chunk that Jesus gave to his disciples to pass on to his disciples to, to be part of the Great Commission, to really uh, you know, remove that and nullify it through saying either it, it was fulfilled in AD 70 or it's 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 going to be fulfilled, but we, we don't need to pay attention because we're gone before that. It really is something that is is kind of an affront to the lordship of Christ and His teaching. And so I uh, that's why again I thought that, uh, addressing that, and then really making our way through uh, the Olivet Discourse. Now, of course, the Olivet Discourse goes beyond Matthew twenty four. It, it is um, um, Mark thirteen as well as Luke 21, which, you know, some people debate about whether that should be actually called the Olivet Discourse. But ultimately, those three eschatological discourses really form, as you mentioned, the heart. This is really the heart of understanding the end times. It's the centerpiece, because uh, Jesus, when he's speaking about that abomination of desolation, and that really is a key, because when he's when he brings that up, now that is after the birth pangs. So circling back to your question, what are we to look for? Yeah, the birth pangs are general. And so there's something that even when they begin to take place, <clears throat> I think the what you know, the watchman, uh, ultimately, even at that time, we, we are, are Lord willing by his grace going to see them and think and should be thinking, well, this could be it. But I don't think we're going to know definitively until the midpoint, because that's when Jesus really fixes in with a very definitive sign, and that is when you see the abomination of desolation. Now, what, what's key about that is he links that uh, specifically back to Daniel. He says, spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So this contextualizes the prophecy and links it back to Daniel. And so Jesus is ultimately fleshing out this uh, the seventieth seven that is going to occur, uh, and within that time frame is when uh, ultimately these things are going to occur. The midpoint. Then we have a definitive, not only a definitive time, not a date, but a time in regards to the the structure of end times um, dynamics. But then we see things that very clearly happen in the wake of that. That is the trigger of the Great Tribulation. Now, we can talk a little bit about what the abomination of desolation is in a bit. In a bit. Uh, I think that would be a good, <clears throat> good thing, because if, if this is the, the, uh, the sign, you know, it's, it, it's a term that not a lot of people, if you just, if you just come upon that term, certainly not something we hear used in, in American lingo or church lingo at all. You know, so, and, and then just kind of to, to know what you were noting before as well, the Olivet Discourse serves as the foundation for everything else we're really going to read in the New Testament. 
uh, the, the Thessalonian epistles cannot be understood apart from the Olivet Discourse. This is uh, something, uh, a point that was made by several people in the film, uh, that uh, this is a huge connection. Paul uses the, uh, the Olivet Discourse in teaching the Thessalonians. Uh, the, the Gentile church, the, the, the Thessalonians got the, uh, the, the words, the teaching in Pauline form, of the Olivet Discourse. And of course, you get to the book of Revelation, I, the, the, the Olivet Discourse forms the framework by which we understand the unfolding of the seals. And that gets to that other very key connection, which is in the sign of the sun, moon, and stars, uh, which heralds the return of the king uh, and then the rapture. And of course, that links up to the sixth seal. So uh, a couple things there. Uh, first, in terms of those those uh, birth pains, and we as as not just pre rathers this isn't a pre rath thing. People like right. John MacArthur recognize that those those birth pains in, in the Olivet Discourse are uh, equivalent to the seals in the Book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. So, with that in mind, how does that affect? In other words, I guess I'm sort of leading the witness here to try to see. <laughs> and I know in the book you took sort of a a dual approach. You say that the birth pains can be these kind of things that have been going over the, they're very general, as you say, they can be the, you know, we've seen false Christs and wars and rumors of wars and famines and things over the last 2000 years since the church uh, age and all that stuff. But um, in another sense, if they are tied to the seals, which I think the, uh, the celestial disturbance sign leaves no doubt that they're supposed to be to, to, right. to a certain extent, then are we stuck saying that that first seal with the antichrist is in fact, the beginning or very near the beginning of the seven, 70th week of Daniel. In other words, mm -hmm. is Jesus just giving us a seven year timeline when he starts out giving these right. signs? And I don't, uh, again, I, I don't think we can um, ultimately uh, say with a, you know, a definitive voice that the, the, the first birth pang, the rising of, and again, even Jesus speaks of the rising of false Christ in the plural. And so I don't know if we can definitively say that birth pang uh, begins the 70th week, but as, as noted, and I, and I, and I stress this in the, in the, in the book, it really has to do with function as well, in one sense and framework in another function is what Jesus is telling us when he, when he's telling us about birth pangs and false Christs and wars and rumors of wars, the application is, is there. Don't be deceived and do not fear. And so those are things that we ultimately always are to be standing and ready, listening and looking to not be deceived and not be in fear. But right, I do think that the first seal, uh, I, I don't think there's any other interpretation that, it, that can eclipse that this is the rising of, of the false Christ, Christ. Uh, the rider on the on the white horse, right. and I don't think the the plural is mutually exclusive by any means. In oh. fact, if the if the very beginning of the seventieth week of Daniel is what I interpret, I think you can reasonably interpret as the inauguration of the temple sacrifices. Uh, at least that we know that three and a half years later, the the daily sacrifice ends. If that's happening in Israel, then you've got a exceedingly high messianic expectations mm, yeah. in Israel, and it's not unlikely that you're going to see multiple false Christs before the false Christ. But certainly in the Olivet Discourse, he he zeroes in on one false Christ before before too long. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, on the so, go ahead. Good. Yeah, and so just in general, the birth pangs. Yes, I, I, the the first half of the seventieth week uh, is certainly going to have the dynamics of, again, false Christ, wars and rumors of wars, which I think we read of some of those specific wars and rumors of wars in Daniel. Amen. What's that? I said, amen. It's the, the rumors got me the other week when I heard that, that the word rumor in the Septuagint is the, I, it may be the only other time that Greek word is used is in Daniel 11, 40 through 45, when he says he heard a rumor of another right. war and goes to fight at the Antichrist fighting a war. So right. again, if it's that second seal, which is, a, which is war that the right. Antichrist specifically is fighting, I mean, you've got a pretty locked down situation. Right, there. exactly. And then of course, famine. And the thing that I, I see ultimately all these things as far as how they're going to function is they're leading to the midpoint, which the midpoint is the point. And again, the book of Revelation is, is huge. In, in regards to this midpoint, even though it doesn't mention it 
necessarily specifically you have this 1260 day 42 month period and I, I'm, I'm of the position that every time those are are listed it's 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 the second half of the 70th week mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. the first half is in view mm-hmm. although the first half is 1260 days it's that last half where the beast in Revelation uh, 12 and 13 uh, the beast ultimately begins his campaign against the saints, and there's going to be this consolidation of power. He has authority over every tribe, nation, and tongue. And so all of the things leading up, and again, it, it, I don't think it's just going to be the three and a half years. There obviously are, are things that predate that, that are going to be orchestrating. Even things today, we can say there is this long game going on before us. It's one of the things I've actually been stressing in some of my my preaching is remembering the long game, remembering the real battle. We see all of these political spats, these religious spats, and there is this long game of what I've often dubbed the seed war, the seed of the serpent uh, and the seed of the woman. And those are ac- that's actually really what John zeroes in in, in Revelation 12, where he goes after the woman and the rest of her seed. Uh, and so... Uh, I really think these birth pangs are, are things that are going to be obviously seismic shifts uh, and uh, they're going to lead to this great tribulation where the beast in, in supernatural power is going to seize uh, mm-hmm. control uh, and authority. And it brings in this time of great tribulation. The, the good news is the, the serpent knows his time is short and vindication is at hand. So it's going to be extremely severe. It's going to call for great faith, but we are called to stand firm and keep our, uh, our, our witness and love not our lives even unto death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting uh, about the, the idea that the abomination of desolation, you know, as you say, things are kind of general until you get to that point. And then it's very specific. When you see that, you know to run, don't look back. That's the thing when you'll know for sure. You may be guessing at some of the other things, but you'll know that's the guy when he does that. Right. Apparently, these other false Christ, no other false Christ is going to do that. That's when you will know. And it, and it no, seems to right. me that that's sort of the revealing. That's what Paul is possibly meaning by the revealing of the Antichrist. Not right. that not the first time you see him, but the first time that everybody knows it's time to run now. Yes, and uh, it's it's fascinating because, uh, again, when you see the abomination of desolation uh, standing in the holy place, uh, then let the reader understand, flee. The thing is, is as we construct, kind of again, it goes back to Daniel, uh, Matthew 24, and then you alluded to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which I think is the best description of of the abomination of desolation. Uh, setting himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God, <clears throat> which which ultimately leads to a persecution that is unparalleled. <clears throat> and the thing is, is there there hasn't been. I mean, there's been false Christ, there's been earthquakes, there's been famines, but there hasn't been uh, anything that that matches in church in in history since Jesus announced this. Anything in history that has matched up to what, um, what he warned about. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And so... And I, I think that's Paul's, Paul's frustration with the Thessalonians in that chapter, is he's like, what do, what do you... Of course, you haven't seen that, have you? Right. I mean, you, if you haven't seen that, then you haven't missed it. You know, that's, right. the, what it, that's like the only thing he was saying there, you know? So. Right. And, and, and as well, and again, he links the apostasy to that as well. And so there is going to be this uh, abomination of desolation, which leads to mm-hmm. this apostasy that, that Jesus speaks of at that time, many will fall away. And so these, these are, are kind of two big events that are connected. We see from, from the church's perspective, we see the, the inception, and then you see what's going to actually happen in the wake of it. And that's going to be a big part of the, of the, the tribulation. I, I've thought of this often. It really isn't, you know, again, death and staring death in, in the eye is, is harrowing uh, for anybody. But again, the Lord gives his saint strength to stand in the midst of such things. Uh, but I think one of the things that we don't think about as much 
in regards to this time because we're maybe thinking about, you know, what what will we eat? You know, where will we live? Because this is a time of great distress. But the betrayal aspect, where um, where families and even those that we thought were believers are going to fall away and start delivering mm-hmm. uh, the the saints over mm-hmm. to death, that this that's going to likely be the the hardest part, mm-hmm. uh, because um, again, seeing people that we thought, you know, were arm in arm with us in the kingdom and turn their, you know, that's, again, I think part of the reason for this warning about a great apostasy. Yeah, it would have been fairly shocking. Luke brings it out more than Matthew, yeah. or, or maybe it's Mark, or whenever it talks about, you know, parents or whatever, giving up right. their children, that, that, that gives you this picture of the level of, 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 I think it shows a delusion or a convincing of this people that these people really are the enemies of the world. You know, the hatred of Christians becomes at this new height where everybody celebrates their, their death. Right. Um, you know, it's actually interesting. You mentioned that the, the, every mention of the sort of three and a half year period is in the, is the second half. And I, I agree with that. And that sort of necessitates, I just did a podcast about it, about the two witnesses probably prophesying in the second half. And I actually like that a little bit better for kind of that reason. I was, I've been thinking about the same thing, the sort of the betrayal aspect of that uh, apostasy and why that would have been such an impact in such a way that Paul would have actually picked it out as a thing that says, look, that level of, we haven't seen that level of whatever. Right. Anyway, um, I forgot what I was going to say. So um, uh, anyway, well, before we move on from the uh, sort of the Olivet Discourse, um, uh, is there anything while writing the book, any kind of central discovery or anything that you found while doing it, anything that you're sort of particularly proud of in terms of things that you found? Um, Let me think back again. It's been 12 years since I wrote the book. So it's, you know, that, that starts to go a little bit in the, in the rear view. Uh, a couple things uh, kind of of note, uh, the, the way I wrote the book, when I sat down to actually write the book, uh, I was really uh, looking at um, kind of, if I, I kind of imagined, if I knew, like, hypothetically, we were on the threshold of the 70th week, and I had to write a book, uh, you know, that, you know, that was going to hit the essentials of not only theology, but that, uh, but also of the practical dynamics that are pressing in regards to this, uh, what would I write and how would I write it? And, and of course, I, I don't think I did it perfectly, but by and large, um, you know, I think it, you know, things have even changed, you know, as far as the, the kind of the modern prophetic landscape and what people are thinking about, uh, you know, so many prophecy books jump on kind of the latest trends. And I really, it's, it's, it's not me. I like gravitating towards exposition that I know mm-hmm. isn't going to be somehow uh, dated. <clears throat> and uh, it's fascinating. When I was uh, on vacation maybe five years ago uh, down in Missouri, and Missouri had has uh, these little flea markets uh, and they were actually inside and people set, set up shops and somebody, uh, we, we went in there just to bum around and somebody had a, kind of a, 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 a bunch of old books in, lined up in their booth. And I went in and looked and they had a bunch of prophecy books from the seventies. And it and I, and I just kind of spent, uh, you know, a few minutes there paging through them. And it's amazing just looking at what they were focused on, which mm-hmm. re- as of right now, Everything they thought was, okay, this is coming. This is what's going to be it. Has come and gone. It's not even on the page anymore. Nobody thinks about these things, right. you know. So it's, it's kind of the indictment of newspaper uh, theology. Now, yeah. again, well, let's talk about day, that because, because I mean, it really is sort of a situation that has become, it's becoming even more of a problem now. But it's never not been a problem as far as I can tell. I mean, you could read the very earliest documents of the church and they were doing newspaper exegesis and and it was all a lot to do with that again all the church really had was those birth pangs to speculate on you know because they knew that the abomination of desolation had not happened all the actual signs that they were told to watch for they they didn't never like that they wish jesus had been a lot more general so they could have better uh 
more fun uh, speculating, but he was so specific with the abomination that, of desolation that they're just left with the general stuff, wars and rumors of wars. And, and of course, you know, the book of Revelation, which does lend itself to uh, speculation, honestly. But, uh, you know, it was always, it was Nero. It was, it was everybody after Nero. It was Genghis Khan and all the way up to every democratic president in the right. world. So, and, it, and I guess, um, you know, I, I see a lot of that being it's more apparent when you look at the 88 reasons for 1988 or whatever those kind of things you can see it in in stark sort of reality but it all and even with the the reformers i think is a good example of people that you you give them credit on one hand because if you've ever seen those medieval torture devices you know just page through those that was made for people who were denying the gospel can you imagine living in a world where you would go on the rack for denying the true gospel, how right. could you not believe that the Pope was the Antichrist? You right. couldn't. You, you and, and everybody in every church that was a real church had to believe it, except for that one guy that was like, "Yeah, I get it, but it just it it says right. the abomination of desolation here. I just don't I don't see it, but I guess you know." No, but yeah, and then and then now we're in a situation where, you know, I you see a lot of the tool in a. To, to a certain extent, you know, Israel becoming a nation was like, th- there's all these signs that Jesus said, watch for these, be a watchman about these signs. But then there's all this sort of tangential things that you know has to happen in order for those signs to occur, right? Is, is Israel has to be a nation. There needs to be some sort of worldwide system in order to implement the Mark of the Beast system, whether the Antichrist does that on his path to power or whether it's already there. You know, there, in other words, a world government isn't a sign that we're told to watch for. It's just a tangential thing that needs to happen in order for that to happen. Same thing with Israel becoming a nation. All that to say, um, we're kind of in, I think we're about to go in hyper mode with that once again. And again, I give them, I give them the benefit of the doubt because this is the first time we're seeing a global thing happening in the same way that they, they freaked out the Jesus movement freaked out about the Israel becoming a nation and the fig tree parable and all the rest of it. I don't know if there's anything there, but uh, over to you. Well, ultimately, really, it is this, you know, what I always kind of, uh, as far as kind of the the terms I I put on that is the stage needs to be set for these things to happen. And so the stage needs to be set. And a lot of the, there's a lot of stuff that's happened over the last seven years that has set the stage. Uh, So, so there's, there's things that we, we, we need to acknowledge and keep our eyes open. And really, it's, there's, there's kind of dangers on, on, uh, on, on in ditches that we need to avoid, and and one is, you know, jumping into the uh, the tunnel vision that okay, this has to be it. We're you know we're and we've, we've I've seen it uh, in, in, over the last 20, 25 years. It's like it's got to happen by two thousand twelve. It's got to happen by two thousand fifteen because this 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 this. We have to we have to avoid that because we there's already a big problem with the uh, proverbial crying wolf. Uh, we, we, we want to just declare that which the Lord declares. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately it's, I think, when the abomination of desolation hits, that's when a remnant is going to rise up and say, he's at the doors. You know, he is at the doors. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's a challenge. And every generation is going to deal with different dynamics of this, of that challenge. Sure. And I, I do want to clarify that. I mean, there are other places I think in Daniel and lots of places that we can do a little bit better than just watching the, the, you know, the stage right. being set or those kind of things. There are some other things uh, that I expect to, to be able to see beforehand. Uh, what are some of those things for you? What are you watching for? Do you have any sort of, everybody's got their own sort of niche thing that they, they do. So if you have any of those things. Well, of course, uh, uh, number one, a big thing that needs to be done is the, uh, the temple, the, you know, the, the, the temple needs to, you know, and it, when I say temple, let, let's just bring it to the point of uh, there needs to be a, a reinstitution of sacrifices on the, on the temple mount. Uh, that that has to happen and <clears throat> i uh, i really think that's a, a big one the other one there's been a little bit of a a, a revolution and l- well let's come back to that because i wanted to tell you a little bit of some of the things uh pertaining to jerusalem and the movements that go on in jerusalem uh, in regards to a reinstitution of, of sacrifices uh this the second thing 
you know, is something that you, you just noted. There's been a little bit of a revolution in the understanding of, uh, you know, of, of Daniel 11 and, and perhaps, again, uh, where is, you know, uh, Daniel 11 and Daniel 8 are, are, are passages that are being wrestled with now, wondering what is, what is yet future and what perhaps uh, was completed in the days of Antiochus. And so that's another realm of, of wrestling, so to speak. Uh, there's kind of a, a fresh debate about that these days. But what do I you do take on I, that in I, terms of where, you, where do you start? Well, the thing, the thing is, as far, yeah, I, I, right now I lean towards a, uh, a futuristic view of Daniel 11. Again, a lot of people, futurists for the most part, almost all futurists, I think, from 36 onward, think mm -hmm. it's Antichrist. Uh, I'm, I'm very open right now to uh, the earlier chapters, just because of some of the linguistic connections, the, er the earlier part of the chapter mm -hmm. being uh, future as well. Uh, truth and confession is something I've gone through, but it isn't something mm -hmm. that I've devoted a ton of scholarly work on that I could uh, stand here with, with really good, firm you know, evidence that I'm, this is surely the case. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where, where I'm at uh, with that. But um, but it, it it definitely warrants um, research. It's it's a very key passage. Let's talk. Uh, I know you have a lot to say about Israel, or, or at least that you are, are very familiar with Israel, and uh, as I said, uh, gone over there many many times and do tours over there. Um, you know, one thing you said, sort of the the idea that the temple needs to be there is the main thing that really this of stage that has to be set. Mm -hmm. um, do you see any precursors to that? I mean, and I'm asking specifically about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, oh, okay. Do you do you think that that is something that they could uh, sort of say, well, let's make ourselves a new one, or do you think that it'd be pretty particular about that one? Yeah, I, um, as far as the Ark of the Covenant goes, um, it's something I've, I've I've pondered. I right now, I as far as the people and what they're pushing right now, I I don't think. Uh, right now, that is something that they would. Uh, let, me... let me ask you more broadly, because that's right. very specific. Just talk generally about your thoughts about any of that uh, kind of thing or the temple preparations. Oh, but, but the, the Ark of the Covenant question is interesting, so I'll tackle that and then we'll broaden it. Um, first off, <clears throat> we have, uh, you know, the Ark is a fascinating thing to study. I mean, not just because of Indiana Jones, but the. the <laughs> The Ark ultimately disappeared, uh, you know, some sometime during the days of Jeremiah. Uh, so after Josiah, the Ark, Josiah had, the Ark was around during the days of Josiah. That's the last we really hear of it. We advance forth to the days of, uh, of Jeremiah, and that's where when it goes. And so the, the mystery of where the Ark is, is fascinating. And, and what, what a... I mean, if that was rediscovered, you know, and there's there's various theories. Did, did it go south to Africa? Is it is it buried somewhere under the Temple Mount in a, in a chamber, or is it another very interesting one I read about? Uh, is that uh, one of the earlier um, theories or legends was it was taken? It was actually taken across the Jordan to Moab, uh, and I. There's all sorts of patterns there that I find I find that a very interesting possibility. Um, but nevertheless, from a millennial perspective, from a, a future perspective, we know from Jeremiah chapter three, when the Lord returns, the Ark of the Covenant isn't going to be an, a, a deal. It's, Jeremiah prophesies saying when the Lord comes and sits on his throne in Jerusalem, people aren't going to be asking about the Ark of the Covenant and then says it will not be made again. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I think it's an interesting thing to look at. Right now, I don't think that is really on the, that this could change, you know, very quickly. The vibe I get from those that are really pushing for uh, the, uh, the restoration of temple sacrifices, I don't think the Ark of the Covenant is seen as a necessary precursor. The reason why is because the, uh, the second temple period existed without the, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was not around at that point. Uh, oh, was it? 
What's I that? Mean, it, it wasn't. So like the later, like the Ark of the Covenant wasn't in the temple at 70 AD kind of thing? No, no, it wasn't. Uh, the The ancient scribes tell us that uh, ultimately what happened was the... Um, the, the, during the Day of Atonement, which was the only day one was supposed to see it, well, after the, you know, after the, the Ark took its place, and once they came back from exile, right. the Ark wasn't right. there. Okay. And so yeah. uh, they rebuilt the, the temple with, uh, with, um, under Zerubbabel and, and ultimately sprayed uh, the, the high priest. Instead of the Ark of the Covenant, they, uh, what they would do is uh, he would sprinkle the blood on the foundation stone. And that's another interesting dynamic. The foundation stone became kind of the the holy emblem there. And you can read about that, some of the Jewish legend about the, the foundation stone. Hmm. So, hmm. which, uh, as of right now, the, the, the Dome of the Rock is said to s- sit right on top of the foundation stone. Hmm. So, uh, well, before, before you get to the broadened area, let me, let me kind of steer you in the idea of, because just something I want to know is what is the the the, the sentiment? Of, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we're talking about the more uh, literalist. Um, I don't know what the that'd be Hasidic or if that's some cult version or whatever. But the more literalist, what percentage of those people are are sort of asking or about? the starting of the sacrifice, or I guess what's the demographics there in terms of who That's does That's a great question. And actually that was, that actually does kind of go into some of the broad things I was going to talk about. Here, here's kind of the reality. Uh, I first went to Israel back in 2009. Okay. So that was the first time I, I went to Israel. Uh, a, uh, a, a couple blessed us. Um, initially they were, anon- they were an anonymous couple, but we have since found out who they were. They blessed my wife and I with a free trip, saying we want to pay you. Uh, this I was pastoring at a, a church at this time, and they were part of the congregation. So we want to send you to Israel. We think it would be great for your ministry. And so I wanted, I'd wanted to go to Israel, uh, uh, but it wasn't something that it was like I was chomping at the bit. But free trip to Israel, you got to go. And immediately when I started to take in the land, my life really was changed. There, there is something surreal and life-altering about laying your eyes on the promised land. And so one of the things that I wanted to do while I was there, now the end of our trip was at Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, you know, that's, that's the epicenter, uh, really. It, that, that is the center where, you know, everything's going on. I mean, as far as Bible study goes, the whole land is fascinating. But as far as things going on, Jerusalem is, is hopping. And I wanted to really kind of ask people that live there, you know, what is the tenor? What is the tenor here about a re- the rebuilding of a temple? Because within prophetic circles over in the U.S., you, you hear of this all the time. It's something that kind of makes, uh, you know, prophetic news. And we, and we hear about the, the desire to rebuild a temple. The Jews want to rebuild a temple. And I wanted to find out what... What really was the, the, the populace? What did they want? And in 2009, the people that I had selectively interviewed, and again, it was a small sample. It wasn't like I did a large scientific poll. But they said, you know what? It's there, but it's very much a fringe movement. Uh, this is not something that you see really as a, a, a big desire by the Jews. It, it's a fringe movement. There's just very few. And, and for the most part, the government and, and, and other people really want to kind of hold this at bay because obviously it's a very emotionally charged deal. Now, I, as, as mentioned from there, uh, after that, I, I, I had a passion to bring people over to, to, to Israel. And so over the next decade, I've, I've been to Israel many times, uh, bringing groups and, 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 uh, and doing films over there. And I've kept my kind of finger on the pulse. And, I, you know, I've made some friends over there that, you know, uh, they're Messianic Jews, but they, they keep in watch and they, they know the general tenor over there. And what's fascinating is over the last, you know, 10 years, the, the growth of from a fringe movement to something that is creeping very much into the mainstream is is very clear. In fact, uh, one of one of my friends that lives in Jerusalem, who's a Messianic Jew, and I've known him for since that, that first trip. I met him on that first trip. Uh, he lives in Jerusalem, and uh, last time I was in um, eating lunch with him in Jerusalem, he says, 
I, I'm convinced we will see uh, a temple uh, in, in, our, in our generation, in our lifetime, because the, the push is really palpable right now. And a, and a lot of it doesn't even have to do with, uh, you know, a real desire for, um, for the re reinstitution of the temple. A lot of it just has to do with a lot of Jewish people saying, uh, why can't we do this? Who, who are anybody else to tell us we can't be at our most holy site? And because right now, um, and I can tell you some interesting stories about my experiences on the Temple Mount. Every time I go up, there's something something strange happens. It's a it's a place of battle. But that's really, I mean, the the big picture dynamics are 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 at work there. Now, uh, Chris, one rather quick story that I, I've shared many times um, with with classes that I've taught and um, and at conferences that maybe I've, I've spoken at. This was this was back in 2014, and our group went to the Temple Institute. And the Temple Institute is something that is very well known by a lot of people if you follow what's going on in Jerusalem. That This is the, the place that basically has prepared everything, for the most part, needed to reinstitute um, worship. Uh, and when I say worship, I mean um, Mosaic Code worship on the Temple Mount. There are a few things that are outstanding. And so we, we gathered in, they give a tours and they give a little presentation at the beginning. Now, again, I want to remind everybody that are, that's listening, these are not uh, Messianic Jews. <clears throat> what I mean by that is Jews that believe in Jesus or the, or the words of the New Testament. So they were giving this presentation and they had a model of what the Temple Mount would look like with a new temple on it. And by the way, they've, they've come up with designs for a future temple. You can actually find those. Um, and so I raised my hand and asked the person given the, giving the, uh, the presentation, there was a picture of the modern view with the Dome of the Rock. And I said, what in your view has to happen for this? And I pointed at the model to get there. And his response was interesting. He said, uh, we're waiting for the coming man to make this happen. And it was, you know, something that was, uh, I, I, it, our whole group witnessed that because our whole group that was with us and a lot of people kind of jaws dropped because mm -hmm. of course our mind goes to what? The Antichrist, right? Uh, you know, the, the, looking for a, a coming man that is going to, to do this. Of course, they're likely thinking of some sort of uh, judge slash messianic figure mm -hmm. that perhaps would do this. Mm -hmm. And so I found that, and, and furthermore, all the, the uh, things that they were saying is this place is not going to be just for Jews. It's going to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And so you see all of these patterns. Well, let me, let me are, stop you there. I want to talk, dig in a little bit on that. Um, do you feel like that the reason for that is because the inevitability of the dome of the rock being in a way, therefore a war, therefore a, a, a protector, Right, and I, I, I think that might have been their reason. The thing is, is, and I think for very intentional reasons, they don't go beyond, you know, right. uh, sure, 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 specifics. Sure. They're very, I'm amazed that they even exist. They, the Temple Institute has been there since I started going to Jerusalem back in 2009, and it's situated not more than 200 yards. You know, it's, it's two or 300 yards from the Temple Mount, in, in the old city. So it, it, it's sitting right there and that this place exists right. with, without war is surprising to me. Well, okay. Let me, let me, I want to talk maybe about the Abraham Accords and whatever. And so I want to transition to that, but I want to sort of give you my, uh, I don't want to rock the boat. We seem like we agree on everything. So I don't want to, I don't want to say too much, uh, but that we might not agree with, but if, if not, I want you to convince me uh, otherwise. So right. I, I see that whole situation as the Antichrist starting the covenant with, and I believe he's actually reinstituted. I believe it's like the ribbon cutting of the sacrifices. Like they weren't going on before then. The covenant starts with the sacrifices beginning, which is why Daniel 9.27 says he, you know, he starts the covenant. Then three and a half years later, the sacrifices stop. It sort of makes them one concept. The starting of the covenant and the ending of the sacrifices are somehow mm -hmm. tied. Therefore, it seems logical to say that the sacrifices start at the beginning, but it's not necessary. But of course, in our modern world, if indeed this is going to happen anywhere in the close geopolitical context that we're in, that would mean war, um, right. which also would mean that if 
that the Antichrist essentially goes to war right after that. And I believe that he does so because in the people say of the Antichrist, who is like the beast, who can make war with him? There's almost right. an idea of that they like the fact that no one can make war with them. He right. is a protector. And then, of course, Daniel 11, 40 through 45 are wars in which the Antichrist is attacked first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he defends successfully all these, what I would interpret as the historic enemies of Israel, really all of greater Israel, uh, which are now Muslim countries, he defeats. In any case, that sort of all plays into the first, what the first three and a half years looks like. The starting of the, the sacrifices, which starts a war in which he successfully defends all of the enemies of Israel from whatever starts there is killed right before the midpoint starts, I think is the very last verse in Daniel 11. Daniel 12, 1 begins the abomination of desolation. So his death and re- apparent resurrection happen. And then he sits in the temple, declares himself to be God. Then the great tribulation and the rest of it starts. Um, in light of that, if, if depending on where you're going to push back on that, and mm-hmm. then also if that's the case, then what are we, in fact, what, if anything, do peace agreements and things happen in a very sort of mundane kind of way that we're right. seeing now? What, if anything, can they have to do with, with that? Yeah, I, again, I look at the, the Abraham Accords, and again, some sort of consolidation that, that's going on. And, uh, I, I, you know, again, this is where, as far as, again, first off, looking at some of the things that you noted, there wouldn't be anything there that I would say, um, uh, no, that, that can't be the way it's going to be because of this. Uh, I am one that holds, a, you know, a lot of those specifics very loosely because there are, you know, there, there is enough gray area as to, okay, things aren't going to look. So I think my perspective is uh, I, I, I think we always want to hold on to certain specific scenarios Mm-hmm. Uh, loosely, even you know, even mm-hmm. if we do come to conclusions saying, "Well, this is the most." Usually, what I like to say is, "This is the most compelling based mm-hmm. on the evidence given given to us." Mm-hmm. There are other things that are, I think, are obviously like absolutely solid, like abomination of desolation at the midpoint. That's not something like I'm going to hold on that loosely. Mm-hmm. That's a, that that's a scriptural fact. So, um, the, yeah, the Abraham Accords. Uh, as we look, I, I I actually do see this conglomeration with Israel, how it's going to come about is, you know, and whether it plays into the end times um, uh, drama, so to speak, is yet to be seen. Now, how, again, with that, that specific scenario, there's, there's several different ways. It could be that. Well, well, I, let, sorry, let me, let me sort of clarify. I, I totally agree, especially when talking about, um, you know, the, the verse that we have, a covenant made with many. Right. is incredibly general and can and, and probably should be expected to mean literally anything because it just says a covenant made with many. Right. And you can right. infer certain things there. And I and like you said, I, I think I can quote unquote prove a lot of the things that I just said, but right. I also agree I, I can see that in in other people so many times when they have every prophecy buff has their little things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and when you when you when you hold on to those little things so much that they begin to interpret all your other things that, you know, that's when really problems start to, be, to happen. So I totally agree that we got to hold on to the, the Daniel nine twenty seven a covenant made with many. I would say at the very least, I would have to say whatever that covenant is daily sacrifices in the temple right. need to be starting in the next three and a half years. Yeah. Or before, know. or before. And that's the thing is, is I, I you know, I, it, you know, it could be that that actually does start at the, but I, I, I think it actually is, is a possibility that there could be, uh, a, a, you know, something starting a bit before that. Who knows? Uh, that's, you know, that's why I think it's, fa- you know, it's fascinating to watch and ultimately see how these things come about. The Abraham Accords are just fascinating to me because the, the truth is, is there is, you know, kind of going back to what has happened uh, in on the ground in Israel, you have... You, ba- you had basically two primary nations around Israel that they have it's that they've had established a type of peace with, which number one uh, is Egypt, uh, and then this goes all the way back to I think seventy eight, and then Jordan, and so I mean you actually experience that when you go over there. The last time I went over to Israel, we went to Petra, which, which requires us to, to cross the border to go into Jordan. Now, you go north of Jordan, 
you can't just go across the border into Syria. That, that is all walled off. And so <clears throat> with the kind of conglomeration in this, you know, peace, which you have some, some smaller but significant nations, but there is a momentum going on here. And if Saudi Arabia gets on board, and there's even rumors of Syria getting on board, you, you have the stirrings of certain things that perhaps could factor into some of the things of Daniel 11. Uh, you, you also have just, you know, a state that could, could lead to things that, you know, if you have this um, peace where there's normalization of relations and a normalization of travel, in between countries where such, and again, at any time, this type of peace, uh, quote unquote peace, is very um, uh, tenuous at best. And so that it could, you know, break. Right, and, and I think that even if, on. I mean, even if you were very conservative and said, okay, well, Daniel 11, just starting in verse 36 is, is yet future, then you at least have to say that whatever this covenant made with many is can't be that much of a peace agreement. And it's broke. It seems to be broken immediately after not three and a half years left. All the thing happens three and a half years is the, the sacrifice that ends and everybody has this picture of what they think is supposed to happen with that. Right. But no, he's fighting war is almost, you know, I mean, right. he's a man of war and it doesn't just start at the midpoint. That's just right. the beginning of a new, a new phase of thing of him to declare, uh, declaring yeah. his deity. Um, yeah, and so that's why, you know, again, I, I don't have any, right, right now, I don't have any, I, I, there, there could be five different possibilities I could draw out from you with this, but we're too early with the Abraham Accords to see anything, but, but just even just from a, a geopolitical interest perspective, uh, knowing, you know, kind of experiencing the, the vibe of Israel, making peace with, with surrounding nations to them is a huge deal. Okay. I mean, I can't imagine living under the sort of, uh, what's that uh, sort of Damocles that right. they live in on a daily basis. I mean, it's got to be so psychologically taxing right. to do that. I, you know, when I was over there this last time, I installed an app, which uh, ultimately uh, it, it gives you an alert when rockets are coming from Gaza, mm. you know, and so... Uh, that's a whole different dynamic there, uh, but when and so you know I, I I didn't turn it off you know and I got back to the states and every so often it it rings off like an alarm you know and I'd get woken up you know mm -hmm. oh there's rockets <laughs> coming and and ultimately this summer I ultimately just had to turn it off because it's like uh, you know it's just like uh, it just <laughs> breaking, you know yeah. it, it, it it jarred you and so mm. uh, for the people that live under that in the in the Ashkelon and and region that surrounds Gaza, that's one thing. And again, up north in Syria, that's there. Again, the, the Egypt and Jordan thing is such a big deal to them because mm -hmm. it, it forms their western, or excuse me, their southern and their eastern border. And then if, Saudi, if the Saudis come around, there's going to be at least some sort of, you know, feeling of security. Um, and what that means, I, you know, I'm not making any biblical predictions with that, but I, there is going to be a set of greater sense of security if there's further normalization of that. Right. And, here, and one more thing, the thing that this really does um, hold big interest in with, with, again, that temple dynamic is um, a lot of people think that <clears throat> this normalization with Muslim countries and the perceived friendship that could be seen there that a some sort of shared presence on the Temple Mount could be a uh, something that moves mm -hmm. in the future yeah. with without war oh yeah um, I don't know again that's one of the theories uh, right right now that could, there's no way that the Dome of the Rock goes down you know what I mean sure. uh, willingly so uh, how it happens, I have no idea, but that's one of the interesting things to watch that could be a movement. Because right now, even Jew Jewish presence up on the Temple Mount, I was up on the Temple Mount one time uh, <clears throat> with the tour, and we were going through the sites, uh, and a Jewish family came up just to walk through. And it was amazing to watch. I mean, they got shouted down, uh, the, mm -hmm. the, the Muslims that were, and the Arabs that were on the Temple Mount, uh, just uh, shout them down with Allah Akbar mm -hmm. until they got down. They just, they basically, you know, intimidated them. And mm -hmm. so that's one of the things 
that is kind of, I think, leading the charge, the Jewish mindset that who are, you know, again, who are they mm-hmm. to do this to us? We should be able to, to go up to our holiest site mm-hmm. and at least, at least pray. And that might be the first step is Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount. But the long, the long game is, of course, the temple. Well, I totally agree. And I, I, I want to look at the peace accords as like a, a triumph as much as it can be. It is tenuous, but like I, like you were saying, I mean, the, just living in that sort of that right. environment is very, uh, it's, it's going to like, you could measure the psychological damage over the long term of this, the, anybody that has to live in that area, just look at a right. map, you right. know? And so it, it's got, I hope that it, it succeeds for that. The, the, the problem is, is that much as we are very familiar with holding niche views in Bible prophecy being, you know, pre-rathers for one, we know that uh, what the, what, what the world thinks about Bible prophecy and the knee jerk reactions that they have about everything. And I can't see barring what I pray for very frequently is some sort of great awakening to just some general sort of things about Bible prophecy that, right. they, that the world can be, the Christian world can be so less, uh, can be less susceptible to the various ebbs and flows of just the, you know, the things, but I can't right now see a scenario in which the general vast majority of well-meaning Christians won't believe, will not believe that the peace agreement is in fact the peace agreement that Hal Lindsey told them to watch for. And they they also will believe that when the vaccine comes and I'm an anti-vaxxer myself, but there's no, there's no, and I'm not taking it and I'm not telling anybody to take it. And I think it's going to be dangerous and horrible, but there's no scenario in which the great majority of Christians won't believe that that's the mark of the beast as well. Right. So we're, we're marching and persecution is coming. I'm telling you one way or the other, we're, right. if we're going into a socialist situation that always follows with the people who won't go into the socialist system. And that means us. Right. So we're going into a situation where the great majority of Christians will believe that we're in the end times worse than they may have ever in their lives. Right. Uh, and I don't know what to do with it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a popular Bible prophecy guy who is arguing that we're not in Bible prophecy times. It's a very <laughs> awkward position yeah. to be in. But, well, uh, that's, I'm, I, you know, and I, I, I 100%, I'm, I'm 100% on board with you. And that's kind of, you know, some of the things we talked about earlier is it's, you know, we want to, I, I've seen so many people blow the horn that, oh, this is it. There was a big thing back in the late uh, 2000s about a European peace agreement that had seven-year language in it. I don't know if you remember that. And that was that was it. That was it. Oh, yeah, we yeah. thought the midpoint was there. And uh, people thought the midpoint was there. And again, warning people at that time, first off, there are, there are things that don't match up here, number one. Um, you know, number two... Uh, you know, because there, there are a bunch of things that, in, in, again, in my perspective, that we, we can't be at this point right now because I think these things have to be going on at this point. I, I, I mean, I'll still, you still always watch. Again, there, are, you know, there are ways that things can come, and I will I think a lot of stuff will come suddenly, but we, we, we have to uh, re- really stay within what is written, and <clears throat> even more so, again. Stick, you know, that's like always coming back to the Olivet Discourse and just reading the Olivet Discourse with a mindset of not just how do I understand this, but how do I obey Christ as I read this? And you'll read, do not be deceived, do not fear. Uh, The one that endures to the end will be saved. Lift up your heads, your redemption draws near. Those are the things that sink into our hearts and minds. So we always need to come back to those really primary issues because sometimes I, you know, within the realm of, of the prophetic world, which again, I have one, I, I have a, a, you know, I don't, have, as far as like you and Alan, some of the other people, you guys are really immersed. I have a foot in this and I have a foot in some other areas. And one of the things that is, is always concerning in the, in, in the prophetic realm. And I think you would probably agree with me on this is that there's so many people that almost treat this as some sort of puzzle or game that, okay, we're just playing a game to get our chart, our chart right. And our, all these things, right. Without really paying attention to what is at stake. And we are dealing with the words of the living God here. And we should be trembling at, at these things. Yes, we should search forth and, and care about them and dig in. And I love that about the prophetic community uh, as far as those that want to really dig into this. But if we come away just saying, I got my chart right. And so I can sleep well at night. That is, that is not what the Lord wants. The Lord wants us to read and heed, heed what he says. 
and the stakes are really high. So, um, amen. Amen. Well, well, let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up here. I do want to give you the opportunity. I know we got this book uh, here, but you said it's been written. Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. People should check it out. But what's what's going on lately? What are you interested in? What do you want to sort of let people know about you? Because I'm sure people have heard you talk here, want to learn more, want to hear more of your sermons and that kind of thing. Yeah, I actually, I, I'm, I'm a pastor at a church. I, um, I'm also a teacher at a local Bible school where I teach cover to cover. Uh, and we're starting to do things called Village Schools of the Bible. Uh, where, I, where I actually have the blessing of taking people from Genesis to Revelation and really seeing the connective tissue of the Bible. Is that Not something that uh, people uh, online is, community can... can uh, yeah, the online community right now can do it. Uh, COVID, this is, COVID has its blessings. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of this stuff has, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, forced... I, I have one in-person class, but my other two classes that I'm teaching weekly are, are online. And we're in the middle of the first semester, so but you can always join in the second semester. The other thing I got going on, um, which has been, um, a, you know, a, a, I'm, I'm, year th- uh, I'm two and a half years into the project. I'm uh, uh, directing and producing a film, uh, this one right here called The Conquest. Uh, it's the second film that I've done, which we go to Israel and film, and we really do a, it's, it's really a theological journey through the scriptures and seeing, um, and this one's about, um, it's really about the identity of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Now he is the ultimate conqueror who is, is going to ultimately bring about the ultimate conquest to the land. And it's going very well. The Lord has been so uh, kind to us. Chris, I might be uh, knocking on your door to get you to help us out with maybe some of your, uh, your advertising um, uh, expertise uh, once uh, 2021 hits because we're going to be uh, – looking to get this into the hands of a lot of people. So that's a project that is, is taking up all my free time right now. As far as Israel trips right now, we've talked about uh, that a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, right now, <clears throat> I had planned to do a trip in 2021 and 2022. Both are, the 2021 one is, 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 is not happening. Israel is completely shut down right now. You cannot get into Israel right now as a tourist. And 2022 is looking to be uh, a big question mark right now as well. So hopefully, uh, as the Lord wills, we can get back there and, and uh, survey and spy out the land together. But uh, as I always tell everybody, if you're a believer in Christ, you you already have a trip planned. It's just whether you're going to be able to see the before picture. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ryan. And uh, we'll hopefully talk soon. All right. Thanks, Chris. Keep in touch and blessings to you and your ministries. All right.